Well, good morning, church. Man, that was super amazing, awesome. It reflected my heart so much. And that I hope that that reflected your heart. Like you sang those songs because it was coming from within out to your God. Do you know that we have a celebrity among us? We have a world-renowned barber. His name is Blade Dildine. Have you met him back here in the back? He looks like a world-renowned barber, does he not? Um, Blade, that's an amazing name for a barber. Like how, when, when he was named, he was just destined to be a barber. I mean, I'm just saying. And, and what's also awesome about that name is that um, not only does he, like, cut hair and cut beards and do all of the, you know, in his, like, toolbox or whatever it is, it's like scissors and, and a razor, but he also has this special tool, right? And it's like a double-edged sword, Hebrews tells us about this, a double-edged sword that's able to penetrate bone and marrow that go right to the heart. And so as he's out there in Utah cutting hair and beards and things like this, he is pulling out that double-edged sword, and he is using the Word of God to penetrate the Mormon heart and to give Jesus to those people. And I just think that's amazing. What a name, Blade. That is like perfect for what you were destined to do for God and, you know, uh, for a living to do that for God. But we are, we are blessed to have you guys. I didn't know that you were going to be here. But the reason I'm bringing this all up, I'm going to put you on the spot. I know that you're used to it. You should be uh, used to it by now. But I'm going to try to whiz through my sermon just to give you like five minutes to fill us in on what's going on out there. So at the end of the service, you guys got to come up and just share a little bit with us, okay? All right. So we were in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. We were here last week, and, and the reason we paused and, and doing two weeks of this is because this is, this is like the core of why we exist. And it's easy to overlook these, first, these five verses here as we're walking through Paul's journey and just not really see how vital and how important these, these uh, verses are. But I'm going to read through them here, and then we're going to dive into it for our second time here. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish man, I mean, of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that, that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decision that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Now, last week, we just focused in on verse 5, and this week, we are going to take that and, and uh, build upon it with the verses just previous to those. Now, there's something here in this passage that you, you might not have seen right away and still might not have seen even though we had that discussion last week, but I want so much for you to see this. It's so important, and so I think the best way for us to really comprehend and see uh, this important concept is for me to give some, like, 
explanation leading into it. So we are going to kind of just set aside this passage of Scripture, and we're going to come back to it at the end, and I think it will be enlightening to you, okay? So um, the Hall of Famer, Bob Feeler, he was a major league pitcher for the Cleveland Indians, and if you don't know that name, that's okay. He he has been gone for a long time. He was a pitcher for the Cleveland Indians in the 1930s, the 1940s, and the 1950s. So he was doing this way before most of us in this room were even born. Uh, but he signed up in 1935 as a 16-year-old kid. 1935. In 1936, he pitched... Uh, a game where he struck out 15 of the St. Louis uh, batters. Now, remember, he's just like 17 at this point. The next year, he did something for the first time that nobody had ever achieved, and that is he had a game where he struck out every single batter. It was amazing. And I don't know that, that many people have ever accomplished that since. I don't know. But when Bob Feeler... Uh, was nine years old, his teacher asked him to write an essay about an oak tree. Nine years old. Write an essay about an oak tree. So he wrote an essay about the oak tree. I'm going to give you kind of the, the highlights of that essay. He wrote, an oak tree can be cut down and sawed into boards. You can make baseball bats out of an oak tree. This is a nine-year-old. You can also make a home plate out of an oak tree. And you can make bleachers out of the boards from that old oak tree so people can watch baseball. Now, as a nine-year-old, what do you guess was his, like, focus? It was baseball, wasn't it? I mean, as a nine-year-old, that was what he just knew that he was going to be destined to, to do. And that's all he could think of. You know, Paul... In, in Philippians chapter 1, 21, I just want you to just really think about what he's saying here. But this is what Paul says. For, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. What do you think Paul's focus was? Completely Jesus. And that's as we're walking through this journey with Paul, that is something that is just so powerful for us to really grasp is this guy will go anywhere, he will do anything, he will be treated however, he will, he will take a licking and just keep on ticking. Why? Because he has a, such a, a focus on Jesus and what Jesus has called him to do. For me to live is Christ, and that's all he thought about. Bob Peeler would have wrote, for me to live is baseball, right? Because that was such his focus. And it just got me thinking for a minute. Like, what is our goal? Because last week I asked you, and I think for the most part we have a similar uh, group of people here, but I asked you, how many of you are Christians? Like, everybody's hand went up. I I think everybody in this room's hand went up. We're all Christians. So as a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, what is, like, your goal? What is it you live for? Now, I think... If we were to really, like, be honest, because I know what y'all are saying. You know the Sunday school thing to say when the preacher asks you, what is your goal, especially after he just tells you, for me to live is Christ, right? But for you to live, what is it that you are living for? Maybe we ought to ask your wife or your husband. Maybe we ought to ask your kids. Maybe we ought to ask your neighbor. Maybe we ought to ask your boss. 
That would be interesting. But if, if you'll just for a moment, just, just be honest. You don't even have to say it. I'll let you just keep it right there, but just, just be honest for a minute. For me to live, how would you fill it out? You know, for some, I think even though Jesus has come into their lives, that, that answer never really has changed. I think it's possible, don't you? Like, for some, I think even though Jesus has come in their life, for me to live, if they were to be honest, they would still say sex. They would just still say that because that's what they, like, think about all the time, and that's what they pursue. I think for some, it would be money. Like, it was money before. It's money now. It's still the same pursuit. That's what I dream about. That's what I think about. That's what I try to do. I think for some that it would be, like, you know, fame and prestige, man. I found a way to have a platform and for people to listen to me and to admire me. And I've just, I just tell them how much I love Jesus and they just pat me on the back even more kind of thing. I think for some it would be just, you know, trying to fit in. Just I found a world to fit in uh, or to, you know, leave a mark in the world. But if that is you, then I know that you don't even need a scripture. <laughs> so I'm not even going to bother giving you a scripture. To know that that is not like the pursuit that God would want you to have. Like, that's not, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, this isn't what he has called us to do. He has purchased us, right? We know this. He's bought us. He, like, laid down his life so that we would lay down our lives and no longer live for ourselves, but for him who laid down his life for us. I I think I just might have quoted a scripture. But we know that. Paul knew that he was called to set aside self and to take up his cross and to follow Jesus. Did you know that he starts off most of his books saying, I am a slave to Jesus? And it's a word that means bond slave, but it's a word that you can interpret just the way that you're thinking that he owns me. I was purchased. And so we should follow him. Some would say, if they were honest, you know, to answer that, for me to live is, they would probably say, for me to live is my kids, my grandkids. For me to live is my family. That is for relationships in my life. And with that, I think we would need a scripture because that's a little more difficult to filter through as a Christian. I'm talking about as a Christian for us to filter through and to see that even that is not our goal as followers of Jesus. But do you remember last week we went to Matthew chapter 10 and we talked about that time where Jesus sent out the 12 and he sends them out and he says things to them that are just kind of crazy. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And how that would have been a little intimidating. But then as he began to explain that you're going to be persecuted. And then they're going to hand you over. And they're going to put you like in jail and on a trial. But don't worry. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say when time comes. And, and we were just talking about, man, he, has, he just kept walking through that passage there in Matthew chapter 10. How not only intimidating, it just got downright scary. And that's when he says, well, don't be scared. And why do people tell you when they tell you scary things not to be scared? You remember all that conversation, right? And at the end of that, what I read there is he concludes that with, if you, dis, if you disown me before man, I will disown you before my father. But if you 
or deny me. But if you don't, then I will not deny you before my father. In other words, this is scary that I'm, what I'm asking you to do. And it was just a trial run, by the way, right? He sent them out for a short period of time, each two by two. You know, they each had a buddy to do these amazing, scary things. But it was just a trial run because eventually when Jesus died and was buried and rose again, he then made this their life's mission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them into Jesus, and then teach them to obey everything I command you. We had that conversation last week, you remember? And that's where we got to. And then when, when Greg got up here, he's just like, you're not going to believe this, but I'm picking up right where Mike left off. You remember this? And he, he told us in verse 34, because I didn't quite get there. I just got to 33. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on this earth. I, I didn't come to bring peace, but what? A sword. A two-edged sword, I suppose you could say. But, but he came to bring a sword. And, it, and he goes on to say, For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be those of his own household. And, but I want you to zero in on this. This is the scripture up here, but he, this is what he says. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And, and I think that we need that scripture because I think that we think it's a worthwhile thing to, for us to think that life, my goal in life is for me to live is my kids. For me to live is my spouse, for me to live is my grandkids or whatever it is. But as a follower of Jesus, no, that was not, that's not yours to do anymore. And Jesus just plainly says, if you make it about that, then you are putting me somewhere under that, and that is not going to be okay with me. Whoever does not, he concludes, does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, let me just ask you this so we can move on. But if your kids were to say to you, moms and dads, if your kids were to say to you, whether they're nine years old like Bob Feeler or they are 22 years old, but if they were to come to you any time and they were to say to you, I love you, but I love Jesus more. How would you respond to that internally? How would you respond to it? Would you be a little disappointed that you come in second place? Would you be like so excited that like finally they get it? They love Jesus more than they love me. See, that would be me. I would rejoice over a comment like that if any of my kids were, were to say that. I would just be, thank you, Jesus. Because he's really the only one that gets, should have like top priority. And if they can love Jesus above anybody else that they love, that they truly love, then they are going to kill it in this world for Christ, right? And if, and if we would want that for our kids, if that would make us happy and make us thrilled, because that is right, there is nothing greater than Jesus, then shouldn't we also, for me to live, is Jesus. Why are we here, like in this room? 
Why did you go to the hassle of whatever you went through this morning to get here? Why did you? What is it that you're really wanting to accomplish by being here today? What is your aim? What's your goal? That's what we're trying to figure out here. For me to live is many followers, I believe, of Jesus would answer that. Many followers of Jesus would answer that. For me to live is, it's me, Mike. For me to live is making it about me. For me to live, I signed up, you know, I signed up for being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, because of what I got out of it. Because there, there's, there's something that I get out of this, coming here to this church. There's something I get out of being a follower of Jesus. And that's why I signed up. That's my goal, is, is to be a part of Jesus and a part of his church because of what he gives me. Jesus, I follow you because of what I get out of following you. I get my needs, needs met. I get, I get salvation. I get relationships with people that I like being around. They're good people. I get, I get a place that I can feel good about, you know, uh, sending my kids. I, I, I get just, you know, business opportunities. I get, there's so many things I get, and the list could be very long, but our purpose ends up just being centered around me and not really around the Savior. You follow me? I suppose that is not like a terrible place to start for sure, right? In fact, I would say that probably every one of us probably started there just before we entered into a relationship with Jesus is we come to church because of something that we got. It, it's hard not to. I, I think it, it isn't a terrible thing to, to like, kickstart our relationship with Jesus. But I think what has happened is I think the church kind of set itself up this way, but I think the church has conditioned us to, to carry it on beyond our baptism to make it about us. Like, I, I, think, I think that we have conditioned everybody that comes through these doors and sets in these pews to think that I am sitting here, entertain me. I'm sitting here, feed me. I'm sitting here, meet my needs. This is what I need to happen. And I'll come back as long as these things are met in some way. Do you, do you think... I'll just give you maybe an example. I don't know if this is a good one or not, but there's so many of them. But most churches, like their structure is like a seeker-friendly structure, right? And what that means is that they have, to, they have to structure themselves in a way to be able to be ready to make people that come in our doors that haven't been here before to feel like, this is an awesome place. I want to keep coming back. So we, we call it seeker-friendly, right? And so one of the ways we do that is the way that we do our music, and so we have to have meetings, and we have to sit down and really think through this process. Like, how are we going to do our music? Because it has to be dynamic. 
I mean, we got to do better than what the neighbor's doing or the guy down the street's doing, or they will go there instead of come here, and we need to be seeker-friendly. Or maybe they won't go there because they've never been there, but if they come here, we want them to, like, really think that this is awesome. And so we develop, you know, our structure being them-focused, right? That's the way it is. We're seeker-friendly. We're them-focused so that when they come in, they will be impressed in some way. And I'm not saying it's bad because we're trying, to, we're trying to get them to stay and get them to come. But we have conditioned not only them to think that, it, that we have made it about them, but we have conditioned ourselves to think that this is about us. And this isn't about us. There's nothing wrong with meeting needs or having needs met. The problem is, is that when we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we have traded. We had, when we were dunked in this water, we have traded ourselves for him. The, Romans 6 says that we have died to self. How shall we live in it any longer? Are we died to sin? How shall we live it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who are baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are raised and walk in a newness of life. In other words, we're raised to now have priority of Jesus as my priority. He's my focus. He's my everything. I gave up myself in, in the midst of that. We, we, we were baptized and come up out of that water, and we, we should be, like, grabbing our cross as we kind of come around the bend there and carry it home. You know, our cross of crucifixion, of self. Just like Jesus crucified himself. They didn't crucify him. Would you agree with that, church? He did that himself. And he has asked us to pick up our cross and come follow him. We we cannot continue to think that the church exists to meet my needs after we have come into a relationship with Jesus. It's okay that it led us to make that decision. Are you with me? It is okay that we came into the church and that's what led us. But... We have to have graduated out of making life about our own desires and our own wishes and make it about Jesus' desires and Jesus' wishes. For me to live should be Christ, not for me to live as me. But it's okay that it starts that way. I think most of us would say that there was a program that ministered to my kids, so that's why I came in and got plugged in. Or we might say, well, I had marriage problems, and I just needed some encouragement, and I got some encouragement from the church, and so they met that need, and therefore I came and I got plugged in. It's okay that there was a Bible study that happened, and I got plugged into the Bible study, and it did something for me, and, and so there's nothing wrong with that. What I'm saying, though, is for me to live... To get things started is okay for me to live as me, like I'm getting my needs met, that's why I'm here. But once we are here and we get baptized into Jesus and we gave our life to Jesus, no longer 
is it about me? So last week, we're almost there, and we're going to read through the Scripture, and I just want, I want this light bulb to really come on when we get there, and we're just about there. But last week, we talked about Jesus sending out the 12, just like we said. And one of the things that we concluded is in this verse 5 is, so, so the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they increased in their numbers. They did two things. How did they increase in their numbers? Because they were baptizing people into Jesus. How did they increase in their faith? Because they were teaching them to obey everything he's commanded uh, and to do. And we went to Matthew 28 and found out that that's, that's the reason they're doing this, and that's their passion and their desire, their mission, is because that's what Jesus gave them to do. And it's not just them. It's a universal thing. It's like it's an eternal thing. It's, it's something that he passed down to those 12, but they had to pass it on to the next person that they baptized and help them understand, I just now baptized you to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. Now your job is to le- learn everything that he has commanded and obey it. And now you go teach it to other people, but you are to baptize them along the way. You see that it just continues on. You, this is your commission. As a follower of, of Jesus Christ, if you have signed up for this, it is your job to participate in those two things. My job, your job, our job. And if you justify it in any way, that's all you're doing is you're justifying it. If you disobey it in any way, then that's all you're doing is you're disobeying it. I didn't come up with this. Go and make disciples, baptizing them into Jesus. Because he's the only one that can save them. Don't baptize them into Westside Christian Church or any other church or any other person. It's not going to do them any good. Baptize them into Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. That's how they connect with it. That's where they start their covenant relationship. Teaching them to obey what Jesus commanded, not teaching them to obey what you want them to obey. Teaching them to obey what Jesus commanded. Teaching should be convicting. Teaching should be spirit-led by spirit-led people. And when we embrace those two things, those two things right there, our behavior changes drastically. It just does. I, mean, I want you to just think about this for a second. And it should happen. And it should happen like right after our baptism. If it doesn't, that means that we, we got, somehow we got stuck in elementary thinking, Paul talks about. And we don't ever grow up. Do you know that our natural behavior that shows that we are making it all about Jesus is when we give up our rights and our freedoms? And we have a whole lot of rights and freedoms. We express them all over Facebook. We express them at the, you know, at the coffee shop when we're talking about politics. We express them when we go to Walmart and somebody you know, does something that offends us or mistreats us in some way. We have all of these rights and these freedoms. But when we give up all of those rights and our freedoms just so that the one that, that we have made life about, which is Jesus, gets, be, gets to be noticed and gets to be seen in a good light, then we know that we are making it about him and not about us. 
for to me to live as Christ. So let's go to our scripture. I think we're ready to have this conversation. So verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. What was it about Timothy that stood out to Paul? Because we already had the conversation that Paul didn't want John Mark to accompany him. And there was a big little, you know, drama thing between, you know, Barnabas and John Mark and, and Paul. But he finds this guy, Timothy, and he wants him to accompany him. What was it about Timothy? I, I think that we'll get a glimpse of that maybe here. But he has this new guy accompany him. And he took him, and this is so important for us to comprehend because we've already had this discussion. But he took him and he circumcised him because the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So what do we know about Timothy? Timothy has a Jewish mom, but he has a Greek father, right? So he never was circumcised. But we know, we just went through this not too long ago with Paul, because Paul, and remember they had that big conference there in Jerusalem, and, and it was with him and the, and the uh, disciples of Jesus, and they're trying to figure out what to do with circumcision. And Anyway, what we concluded and what they concluded is that circumcision does not save anyone. Jesus saves them, and circumcision was replaced with baptism into Jesus. Not just a ceremonial baptism, but baptism into Jesus. And that's where Colossians, you know, 2 fits in. Don't you know that, that uh, um, the, you were circumcised not with a circumcision of hands, but a circumcision uh, with the heart when you were baptized into Christ Jesus, it says there? So we had that conversation. That was the conclusion that they come out with, is that nobody needed to be, bat- I mean, to be circumcised to be right with God. They all need to be baptized, though. Interestingly, just so you'll know this, in Galatians, Paul has another encounter because Peter, remember, Peter was the first one to speak up in that, that, that dialogue, that meeting in Jerusalem and says, I've been called to go to the Gentiles and, and um, no, yeah, we do not need to be circumcised people to be right with Jesus, right? He's the first one to speak up about that. In Galatians, we find that Paul is, has to get on to very severely to Peter and to Barnabas because they shrunk back into that teaching because they were around a whole bunch of Jewish people and they, they pulled them back into that. And Paul just lets them have it. What in the world have you gone back to? And they humbled themselves and repented and came back in line with what they agreed to in Jerusalem. So you're following me, right? So what is Paul doing here circumcising Timothy? Now, you've got to put your thinking caps on and your maturity in the faith here for a second. And remember everything that we just talked about up to this time. Why would Paul do this? It has nothing to do with salvation. As far as connecting it with circumcision. It has everything to do with salvation as far as connecting those people with Jesus. Now, track with me for a minute. What does it say there? They went on their way through the cities. Wait, let's go to verse 3. He took him and he circumcised him. Why? Because the Jews were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul knew that he would not even get an opportunity to talk to him about Jesus because of this hang-up. 
that they all had. He knew it was senseless and nonsense, but he knew that if he didn't circumcise Timothy, then they would not even let him have a conversation about what they needed to do to have salvation, which is they needed to be baptized into Jesus. Are you tracking with me? Verse 4, it says, So they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for the observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So he, he, he started there not having this hang-up or this thing that was going to get in the way. And he began to teach them that there's no reason to be circumcised to be right with God. You just need Jesus to be right with God. Now, how do I know all that? Because we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We could look at a lot of places, actually. We could even go to 2 Timothy and look at this. But, but 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul tells us his approach. For to me, to live is Christ, right? That's what we know about Paul. This is what Paul says. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Now, what is Paul saying? My objective is to win people to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus told me, therefore, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey our command. And Paul took that very super serious. And all of his mission was is to convince people to give their life to Jesus. And he says here in verse 20, he says, to the Jews, when I go to the Jews, when I knock on the Jews' door, what I do is I become a Jew in order to win Jews. So he wasn't going to take this Greek, half-Greek man with him that's not been circumcised and go knock on a Jew door because they wouldn't let him in to even have a conversation. Are you following me? To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I become as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And it's really important that you understand that what it is, does not mean is that he is compromising anything. He's not compromising his relationship with Jesus. He's not, he's not going and doing behaviors that would displease Jesus in any way. What he's saying is, I try to fit in in the... In the place that I can. Not that I, and that's why he makes it clear there, not being out, outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. And I mean, I still live my life for Jesus, but I don't mind setting aside certain things just so that I can speak to them about Jesus. You know what I think that that means for us? Is that in certain crowds, nobody should even know what your political views are. Why should they? It could just be a hang-up for you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is just not that important. And if you make that important, you are making that about you and not about him. And we need to get this figured out. You know what that means for us? That means when we are on Facebook, we be careful about how we say something to not offend. And we might be like, well, I don't care if I offend them. Well, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus, and you should be asking the question, does Jesus care if you offend them? Do you see what I'm trying to say? 
This is so important for us to comprehend. That's what Paul is getting at. So in verse 22, he says, To the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That was his motivation, right? That I might share with them in this blessing. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives a prize, so I run that I may obtain it? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but less an imperishable. In other words, what is the objective to the game that you're playing? The objective to the game a Christian should be playing is to save people's souls through Jesus Christ, through the gospel, Right? And if that's your focus as an athlete, that's what you'll be focused on. And you'll realize that anything less than that, you just failed miserable as an athlete in this game. If you make it about something else, you made it about something other than what is important to focus on. And so he goes on, he says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself shall be disqualified. In other words, get disqualified disillusion, make it about something that it was never intended to be about. Here in Second, or 1 Corinthians 10, the next chapter, listen to what he says in verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. What was Paul's focus? just saving people. And he'll just come, become whoever he needs to become in order to save people. He will leave his opinions at home if it's going to get in the way of him saving people. But in circumstances, some circumstances, he'll probably give his opinions because that will give him an end to save people. But whatever it is, his objective was is to save people. Is that your objective? You probably already knew, but if, if you didn't, you now know how to be an effective follower of Jesus. You go and you do whatever it is that you can do to convince someone else to follow Jesus and his teaching and be obedient to him. And you set aside all of your rights and all of your freedoms And you don't make it about you, you make it about him. For me to live is Christ, and my goal for existing is hopefully to bring people to Jesus and that they see Jesus. And that's what this verse has taught us. And it would be real easy to read these five verses and not get that. And I hope more than anything, church, you get that, because that is at the very core of why we exist. It should be at the very core of why you came here this morning. It's to make this about Jesus and not about me. I think once we are baptized, there ought to be like a, a secret passageway or a secret door that gets into this church. And I think before you get into the church, you have to say, the church does not exist for me. It exists for Jesus. And it is not seeker-friendly to me anymore It is Jesus-focused and seeker 
focus of Jesus, or I don't know how you would say it, but we would have to get that worked out, I'm sure, you know. But the thing is, is just to be reminded that I'm not, I'm not here for my needs to be met. I'm here to meet his desires. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the teaching that we receive from your word. We would get so, so off track. We do get so off track so often, way too often. And your word just is so powerful. It is like a, a double-edged sword that is able to penetrate both soul and moral. It's able to get right to the heart of things. Father, do not let us leave here as followers of Jesus Christ thinking that this gathering here was about me or them or any particular person, but that this is about Jesus. We are about to enter into this table time and and it is just completely focused on Jesus. It is about him. And help us, Father, to live our lives the way that Paul has taught us how we ought to. In fact, Paul says in another place, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that is what we are after, Father. To not lift up Paul any higher than he should, but we should at least try to live the way that he did to align with Jesus, our Savior. We thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.